I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. My other question about the grip is you mentioned in one of your videos locking up the tendons in the wrist and your elbows. Now, I get the elbows. I'm, we're very similar in the way we present to the target, and I'm not sure why, but we are. But I've, I've heard other people talk about locking the elbow, I mean the wrist, but I'm not sure exactly what that is. So and that's a great question. When I describe that, oftentimes we, we fix the wrist locking issue by, by doing the first step in the process, which is grip the gun hard. So once I teach students the placement of the hands, then I talk to them about pressure, meaning literally how much grip pressure we have, as well as the direction of the pressure. If I can get them to grab a hold of the grip very hard, and a lot of times I'll have them, you know, aim the gun. All right, line up in the line. Aim. Okay, now you feel the, the amount of pressure in your hands right now. So now I want you to take your palms, and I want you to counter-rotate them together, and then I want you to squeeze the grip. I, I give them a number sometimes because that gives the brain something to do. Now squeeze the grip 40% harder, and they maybe can't even do that, right? The second they do that, that gripping motion, that gripping strength automatically locks the tendons in the wrist up. So if we do the grip building process and pressure properly, the tendons are going to remain locked in the wrist. You know, because when you grab something, you know, really hard, a baseball bat or a branch or whatever else, your wrist tendons kind of have to stabilize because if not, your, you know, your hand would be ineffective in terms of a gripping mechanism if the wrist was all loosey-goosey. The tendons in the wrist have to stabilize to protect the wrist to be able to pull your body weight or, you know, uh, swing the stick or whatever else. Um, so I tell people, if you grip first, you know, you can grab, you know, if you're listening to this right now, the podcast or watching, you know, grab your wrists and relax your hands and then take that same hand. And I want you to squeeze your fingers down and grip it really hard. Boom. You'll immediately feel your tendons lock up. So the solution to locking those tendons in your wrist is gripping the gun hard. And if your tendons get loose, if they're loose, that's an indication that you're not gripping the gun hard enough. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, tendons connect muscle to bone. So exactly. if your muscles are are gripping hard, then yeah, okay. Well, it makes perfect sense. Didn't even think of it like that. Huh. Now, you also had um, another video that I found interesting, and it was testing your grip using one shot, then two shots, then three shots. Um, is that specifically making for the palm on the back of the grip? Yes. So in that drill, you know, if you can imagine, I call that the one shot extend prepper press. When you fire one shot with a handgun or a rifle, that recoil impulse gives you all of the feedback you need to know to determine if you are managing the recoil as good as you can and returning the handgun on target or rifle on target as good as you possibly can. So you don't need any more shots than one shot. So I always start my students off with a one-shot drill. And the way it might go is, 
you know, you start from that index point under the trigger guard, you extend the handgun, you fire a shot, the gun lifts a certain amount and recovers uh, a certain manner. You watch and learn from how much it lifts and how it recovers. And then you adjust grip pressure. You say, okay, Mike, I need to grip the gun a little harder. Or Mike, I need to drive my palms in a little harder. Or Mike, the gun floated and, and, and recoiled to the left. I need to increase my left hand grip pressure. Uh, and then you do that one shot at a time over and over and over and over again until you minimize the amount the gun moves, you know, and maximize the speed that it returns. The dot or the sight comes back on target to the exact same spot. Now, once we've accomplished that, then we can increase the, the round count. And I, I typically do a five shot drill. I call it the five shot pace drill where now I'm repeating that. So now can I do that that speed as I move my trigger finger? Can I maintain the supporting finger and wrist tendon lock, right? Uh, and is the other hand doing what it needs to do? So the, the one shot extend prepper press drill is the grip building exercise. The five shot pace drill is a grip testing exercise. And then we add targets like the head shot. So now we have to manage the trigger with the prep trigger. And then we start to vary it up. I call those the fundamental five. Um, they're the, my five favorite drills. I do them in every single class from a basic newbie class to an advanced, uh, you know, law enforcement SWAT team class. And they all teach different things. They all allow you to enhance and learn different things. You know, they're, they're very diagnostic in nature. And they're, here's the full disclosure, they're, they're, not, they're not exciting. But if a student really cares about being a better shot, they become incredibly excited because they realize those are the things that will make them better shooters in terms of pure shooting skill. And that, that will speed up your, your shooting as well. Cause I mean, if you're, if your grip is good enough that you're, you have a straight up and down recoil and it's minimized, I mean, your second, your follow-up shot can be rapid. 100%. That's exactly right. You build it one shot at a time and then your follow-up shots, whether it's one shot, two shots or five shots are all the same process and you can shoot much faster. Yeah. And if you're shooting a USPSA classifier where you're shooting five or six rounds pretty quickly, well, there you go. You just up your uh, hit factor. That's right. So I assume too um, that, that if, like you were just saying, if your sights move to the left, then you need to increase your support hand, assuming you're a right-handed shooter. Then you need to increase your support hand grip. If it's moving to the right, then I assume it's your strong hand grip. Oftentimes, that's the general guidance I will give. Um, okay. But it's, it's not always exactly the same. You think about pressure on the handgun. If you could visualize, when you have your hands on a handgun grip, there are so many micro points of contact. It's almost unbelievable. Like right now I can feel my fingertips all the way to the front of my knuckles, to the knuckle and the front part of my fingers on the front of the grip, all the way around to the, 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 you know, the right side of my right hand palm, all the way back to my right hand palm. And that's just one hand. And when I add the second hand, so all of those points of contact are adding pressure to the handgun grip. And all of those pieces of pressure are influencing where it moves when the gun recoils, right? You know, recoils like water. When the gun recoils, it's going to move to the least resistance. But yes, generally speaking, if the gun is moving to the left, 
That means that my, my left hand palm pressure and my left hand grip pressure is probably not strong enough for a right-handed shooter, right? If it's moving to the right, probably the same thing. I'm not gripping hard enough with my right hand, uh, whether that's in the palm or the gripping fingers themselves. Um, and then, you know, of course, the other, you know, the other movements we might see is, is the gun, you know, flipping high and, and maintaining that position high. That's a tendon issue, which tells me the grip pressure is low. Or flipping high and porpoising, which once again is a tendon unlocking process, which tells me that, that the grip pressure was low and we didn't maintain it. Remember, we don't need to just uh, uh, build the grip pressure on the gun. We need to maintain the grip pressure as we're shooting or potentially increase it if we find it to be too, too weak. But anytime we release that grip pressure, that becomes an issue. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I like the uh, slow motion videos you've put in showing the recoil and how it returns back down. Now, how often do you use that type of thing in your classes to show people? Oh, uh, you know what? When I do the like when I do the bigger circle class with Rob Latham, we do slow motion video constantly. We say, hey, check this out. Come here, student with a slow mo phone, come up and take a quick snapshot of this thing. That we're talking about all right get a video of this and then we show them not watch the video what happened and we talk about that in, in q a i do some in my classes not not probably not quite as much as i do with rob because we really break down those details um, but i do i do use some of that uh, that material and talk about hey here's what's actually happening when you're shooting what you think is happening is probably not what's actually happening so someone come here with a slow-mo video camera or phone and you know, grab a clip. Let's, let's actually look at it. I want to show you what you're doing on your grip that you don't believe you're doing or you don't realize you're doing and, you know, let that be a learning point. So do you recommend that your students do that when they live fire practice, do some? A hundred percent. Yeah. I would okay. say that, you know, you want to learn a lot, set up a GoPro uh, in a position that will catch whatever you're working on, you know, and just, Record it and then go home and watch that. That's what you should be watching instead of scrolling Instagram, right? Um, some of it could be slow-mo. Set up your phone on a close-up of your hands and behind your hands at different angles. Set up a slow-mo of your draw into a position. Whatever you, you want to see. See what you actually do. Because what you actually do is not what you think you do. And then you can take those details and you can refine your, your technique, what you're focusing on in the next training session. Okay. Now, I... You ever have students that um, have a tendency to blink when they fire? Happens, yeah. Um, I don't know how common that is, but it certainly happens. You know, I oftentimes will ask, you know, tell me what you saw when you fired the shot. Give me a, a description of what you actually saw. Well, I don't know what I saw. Well, here, let's do this. Shoot another shot. I just want you to pay attention. I don't want you to try anything. Don't try. Shoot, and then I want you to tell me what you saw when you fired. Describe everything you see. Well, I saw the the gun and maybe a little smoke come out. What, what did you see your sights do? What did you see the dot do? I don't know. Do it again. Or, and then eventually, if they don't see what's going on, I'll take the target out of the equation. Say, point the gun at the berm, uh, you know, bright spot on the berm or dark spot on the berm. Now fire. Now, what did you see that time? When you take the target out of the equation that they're, they're focusing on aiming at, that allows them just to watch the gun fire and they get to see how it lifts and returns and how the dot moves or how the front sight moves into the in and out of the rear sight notch. And there's a lot to learn. And in that 
uh, discussion, oftentimes I'll find someone that can't, they can't ever tell me what they're seeing. And I'll be standing to the side and watching their eyes. It's, okay, this time I want you to take your eyes and I want you to open them and hold them open right before you fire. And they're like, oh, I think I was blinking. Yes, you were blinking. I feel like um, those individuals have to initially consciously focus on keeping their eyes open until it becomes natural. It's a process. I agree. Yeah, they, they, okay. And there, it's sometimes it's uh, it's noise and recoil. So if you get them better hearing protection or double plug, and you take some of that noise away, you know, we respond mm. as humans to noise, a loud noise. We're used to moving, you know, because we're you know a big crack in the, the brush behind us probably indicates there's a big old lion jumping at us. Time to move. Thunder, yeah, right. You know, thunder. Protect your eyes. Protect your face. Protect your body. That's just naturally ingrained. So. You know, better noise protection is oftentimes a good start. And then the second is just a conscious, deliberate act of going, okay, hold your eyes open, fire a shot, and watch the gun. Boom. Oh, oh, and it's not hurting you. And it doesn't actually move that much. It doesn't recoil that much. Just watch it. And they, it becomes the fun becomes then of just watching the gun and recoil and learning from what it's telling you. And they're like, oh, this is really cool. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. So right. you're actually seeing the gun. Yep. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I will say you've, you've actually got me, um, in dry fire just as part of a warm up. My poor warm up routine is the Judy chop indexing. There you go. <laughs> so I, I do love that video. And if you would go ahead and explain, you know, let everybody know what I'm talking yeah, I mean, about. Well, we're talking about the Judy chop is, you know, the, the term I use for the trigger guard index point, it's the chop, you know, and it's, if you look at this on the video or, or hear me describe this, the angle of my hand is chopping into the corner of the trigger guard where my strong hand and the trigger guard are meeting is a very specific spot. And if you figure out where to chop that hand into position with your support hand, you'll naturally rotate the hand around and rebuild a consistent grip. And that's the key. And I called it a Judy chop because it's a chopping motion and there's a funny video you'll look up. It's not a karate chop or a ninja chop. Don't be ninja chopping no one. Just look that up. You'll 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 Google it and find it. I don't want to give everybody the, the name of the guy, but that's, I heard that a day before I taught a class. I don't even know what I was doing. And the next day I said it, it popped out of my head, popped out of my mouth and the students were rolling and they remembered it. They're like, they remember that index point is critical. I'm like, well, if I need to use a funny term, for my students to remember something, I'll, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that. That's, that works, you know? So. Um, yeah. Our other co-host uses that a lot, just in normal conversation, just Judy chop. There we so go. It is a, it is a funny term. It's catchy. Yeah. There we go. All right. Um, your reloads, you, you did a video, which I liked on that one. Um, and we've been, we've been focusing on, I'm not going to say focusing on reloads, but uh, with our past several guests, we've talked a lot about reloads and and how to do them. But you, where is it that you look on your magwell or on the grip of your pistol when you're doing a reload? Yeah, I I'm literally looking right here in the rear okay. left corner of the of the magwell. Um, and I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm indexing there as well. So I'm trying to index kind of flat to flat and in 
not at this angle, but you know, a little bit of a flat to flat and side side to side into the grip itself. And I've also found that you know, with, with some of these guns, I'm actually loading a little higher than I was before. If, if I can if I can get the gun a little higher and see that spot, I'll index and find a, a good load spot. Or if I go a little too low, you know, I'm not seeing that as well. It's not as consistent. Also, you know, in terms of the reload, keep in mind, folks need to work on the distance, the height, and more, most importantly, the angle of the gun. And I like to say, muzzle may be a little bit lower than you think, but I want you to point that magwell, you know, at the source of where the ammunition is coming from. If you point the magwell at the source of where the ammunition is coming from, the angle will be lined up and the magazine will go easily inside the magnet versus fighting that process. Now you um, you use the term fast, slow, fast. Sure. Is that fast to the magazine, slow as you get to the grip, and then fast insertion? Or yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Crap, you know, drop the magazine and get to the new one with a proper index point. And of course, I'm talking about where the base pad of the magazine is in the right spot of the hand, and we've got a nice full grip on the magazine. Finger tip should be on the front spine, not on the tip of the bullet, right? So I want to reach down and grab the magazine as fast as I could possibly move it up to the gun, and then I might slow down just a hair as the magazine is starting starting its insertion point and then i rebuild the grip as fast as i could possibly re re rebuild the grip and get them back on target but that sl slight slowing of the process where the magazine slows just a little bit and we get a good index point on the back of the magwell is the key to making your reloads more consistent keep in mind a fast reload is really good an incredibly fast reload where you miss one out of 10 of them or two out of 10 of them and you, you bumble or drop a magazine is not worth the speed you're getting out of that, what I call throw loads. You're just throwing the magazine in the gun and hoping it goes in. And also keep in mind a single stack or a production gun is a little bit harder to load than a, you know, like a limited gun or a uh, carrier optic gun with a magwell on it, which I guess is illegal in USPSA, but if you had a magwell, you can throw the magazines in. Literally, you're probably not going to miss that big hole. Single stack, though, you got to have that little bit more of a pause. So the harder the load is to do, the more challenging production, single stack loads, small magazine carry guns or whatever else, the more the slow has to be deliberate when you insert that magazine into the magwell uh, that moment in time. So. And it, it's we have Rob Epifania on um a few episodes back and he uses almost the exact same slogan you do, except he uses pause instead of slow. So it's very interesting how multiple people use the same, I don't want to say technique, but technique sure. and, and phrase to accomplish the same thing. And I don't know where I, I don't know if I came up with that term or heard it from someone. I don't know. I've been saying it for a long, long time. I probably found it got it from someone. Um, there's some things I came up with some terms and popped, popped in my head, but I didn't come up with the ideas necessarily. You know, in some cases, maybe I, I codified the idea a little bit more, uh, but I didn't come up with the idea. So now what do your reloads look USPSA competition versus IDPA competition versus defensive 
concealed carry reloads. Yeah, they're all the same. The only difference in IDPA is on the okay. slide lock load. You know, so once I, you know, right. once I once I load the gun up at the slide lock load, you know, I've, I've inserted the magazine. I reach up and I release this with my left hand. I'm a left hand releaser on the slide release. With this one, it's very oh okay, very. But I couldn't reach it with my right thumb if I wanted to. So nothing really changes there. Um, you know, in the defensive load, it doesn't change much. I don't get into big arguments on hey. Defensive. Now I need to drop the gun down and keep my head and eyes up and hope I get a. If I have to load the gun, which is statistically civilian, like incredibly rare, like rare, it right. almost has never ever happened. You know, I'm much better running or punching the gun to someone's face if I'm that close to them. But I, if I have to load and load is important, I want to get the load done, which means I may glance the magwell real quick and you know get the magazine in there. I don't want to miss that. If I miss that, I've I've got problems. So. Now, do you, do you, I know what your background is. Do you train um, any military guys at, occasionally or? I've worked, yeah, I've worked a few military classes here and there. Well, I, I, do you, is there any difference in your reload for them? Because typically now we're talking in a totally different uh, scenario. There we go. So, no. Okay. About looking the magazine in, it becomes basically, uh, it's almost like, it's almost like the nine millimeter versus 45 argument. It's an argument, but it's really almost a, a moot point at, at these points. Because, you know, the, the, the distinction that people have is, well, if I'm going to look, for example, the, the only difference is if I'm going to look the magazine in, right? Um, the, the amount of time I'm doing that, if I were to do a load, I'll, I'll, I'll simulate it, you know? The, the look might be here. I, I'm my head and eyes are forward and, uh, and aware right here. I may look right there. Boom, and then I'm back on target. So we're talking about a moment in time that would be in the tenths of seconds to a half a second, in which case the scenario probably hasn't unfolded in a manner where anything has changed. There are no humans that can move fast enough to be closer to me or have disappeared in that amount of time. But when I'm doing like a purely defensive class or, a, you know, maybe a military class, we talk about, you know, don't get task fixated on the gun. Uh, first of all, let me rewind. The gun position is critical. The civilians that I've worked with that have the biggest problem with their head and eye vision has nothing to do with looking at the magwell. It has to do with the fact that they, they learn to load and manipulate the gun around their lower chest or belly button area. So the second you bring the gun down there and you practice that habit, you bring your head and eyes down. So the gun and gun should always be up in front of your face, but not in front of your vision. Whether it's just below your vision or just above your vision, maybe in a competitive setting, up in front of your face, not in front of your vision. So your head and eyes are up. And if your head and eyes are up, you know you're you're going to be golden. The interesting thing about that is, you know, the military guys, uh, from a handgun perspective, they almost never they're not using the handguns hardly at all. And, you know, right. for them to have done a reload with a handgun is even rarer. And the ones that do are good enough. They're probably competitive shooters and they're going to look the magazine in the magwell for a brief moment in time and not really care about some tactician that says you can never glance at the magwell, you know, or glance at your rifle to, to, to assess and clear a malfunction that you can't figure out right away. You know, let's 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 glance at it, assuming that we're in a position have someone trying to beat your head in but 
don't really have those discussions to be honest. Okay. Uh -oh. That I work with some that you know they don't they don't even really even need to have at some point in time. So okay. Now you are you there? You're kind of frozen on my screen. Oh, there we go. I am. Can you hear me? All right. You got frozen. Can you hear me okay? Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. Um, now, I, you list on your Instagram photos like uh, all of your sponsors and stuff like that. And I noticed you have Cool Fire Trainer on there. Now, what are your thoughts on the Cool Fire Trainer? Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, I love it. That's that's why they're my sponsors. They're a great company. And uh, sorry, I'm checking my internet right now to see if I can turn some stuff off here yeah cool fire is a pretty cool device i mean you can get on it and listen to our our sponsor pitch on the page you replace your barrel and your recoil spring and it cycles the barrel it's like felt recoil so yeah it's a fantastic training tool are there any certain uh, is there anything in particular you like most about it like for dry fire training or is just in general well, I mean, it, it, it is, that's all it is. It is a dry fire training tool, you know, so you know, it's a great instructor tool because you get to shoot a gun without it being live fire, but it, it, that's what it is. It's a dry fire training tool. You know, they call it dry fire on steroids, but you know, the, the only way you can dry fire and shoot multiple shots is to get like an airsoft gun, which doesn't mimic the weight and the feel of your real gun, you know, or to get a cool fire trainer and, and replace the barrel and you know, the recoil spring, it's a super simple process. It, it literally feels like felt recoil or closely similar to the felt recoil if the gun is fully gassed up. And um, it's just, you know, in terms of multiple shots and, and uh, target transitions and stuff like that, it's a, it's a no brainer. Defensive folks, you know, I have a Glock 19 that I convert sometimes and it literally feels almost identical to when I fire that Glock 19 live fire when I have a full, full gassed up you know, barrels. So they're good tools. Okay. Yeah. Um, like once again, um, Huggy, he actually has one. So I, I borrowed it cause he has a canic. I have a canic, so it's interchangeable. Um, and, and I did like it. The only issue I ever had with it was you've got to charge it up quite frequently. If you shoot it too fast, too much, it'll get cold on you. Yeah, yeah. and I know some folks that actually keep their their CO two canister in in like warm water or something. I, I don't. I've not tried that, but yeah, they, they do. You know, because it's compressed CO two, so it has some condensation and some. It, it comes out right. cold. You know, so um, yeah. So you have to. There's some limitations, but once again, you know, especially with the fact that you can't find ammo these days, it's a pretty fantastic product. So. Yeah, yeah, not bad at all. And I mean, if you use any other type of like laser system or anything like that, and you can combine the two, I absolutely. Mean, now you've got everything going on. Absolutely. Now, I, I I know you. I have a question. You you have the cert pistol. I shoot a canic. Cert doesn't have a canic version. And my concern is if I were to get a cert pistol, the grip angle is going to be different than what I'm used to. 
And I don't want that confusion for competition. Is that, am I overthinking this? No, no, you're not. I mean, it, it, yeah, there's, there's a grip angle issue with every gun you shoot. If I shoot a Glock for a week, the mm -hmm. grip angle is different than my SIG. So if I pick up a SIG and try to go really fast, the gun will point differently. If I shoot a SIG for a Glock for a week or pick up my 1911s, it's something to accept. But, you know, the, the, the point of a, a, a CERT, for me, it's just a, it's an instructor training tool. That's what I use them for. They're fantastic. Okay. Uh, shoot lock or a, an M&P variant, or they have one that mimics a 320 now. They're fantastic. I mean, you couldn't beat that as far as a training tool. But, you know, Mike Hughes designed them as a, a high-volume training tool so you could learn literally to move your finger very, very fast and not the other fingers, to not do these, you know, this with the fingers. And also, you know, when you're moving right. or coming into position, that prep laser, this has a prep and a, a prep and a press laser, prep and press laser. You know, when I'm coming into position of prepping the trigger and settling my body, the motion of the dot tells me a lot of things. So I'm learning a ton from it. So there's a lot of value in a cert pistol. Is it the best tool if you shoot a Canik or a whatever else? I don't know. But I practice transitions all the time because I'm still moving the gun, seeing the sight, and stopping the gun. Is it the same angle? Not exactly, but I don't worry too much about that. So interesting. Yeah, Leo had a or has a cert pistol, and, and I've it's a 320 because he shoots SIGs. And uh, I've played around with it. And I never we neither one of us had even considered that you could use the prep laser for determining what other things you might be doing because um, he just covers it up with a piece of tape. Yeah. Oh, no, I the prep laser is critically important. I, it's, I use it for everything I do. I mean, transitions and everything. When I'm driving the gun over and prepping the, prepping the triggers, I'm stopping the gun on target. When I'm prepping the triggers, I'm coming into position. Um, it tells you a ton of things. So Interesting. I'm going to have to... Uh, pass that along. Yeah. Now you are also, as you stated earlier on, live fire app. What is that? Um, well, I think the really the best way that uh, you could experience live fire is just to check it out. They have a free trial, um, but it's, it's basically, it's, uh, it's the only firearms training app that I'm aware of that has a bunch of really good content and will soon have a bunch of other great content. Um, they're actually building a full studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, it has a repetitive part-time function on it. Um, it basically allows you to oh, see if I can pull it up. Yeah. So on the part-time live fire function, you can set up and you can actually set a part-time in and for, and this is by design for me. So let me do five repetitions and the reset time is three seconds. So I'm like, I wanted to be able to do, uh, dry fire without hitting my timer over and over you know how do i do this so i had them set this up the volume's probably down a little bit but it'll give you a visual start a, re a certain amount of reset time and this is all by design for me i'm like well i want to have enough time to you know rack my slide holster or you can change that too maybe you got to pick up a magazine off the ground so that's one thing that's fantastic uh, but most important thing to me is the logbook you know, and that's right there, the thing you showed earlier, is those are literally all of my dry fire and live fire train logs over months. So I can look at exactly what wow. I did, what the weather is. I can pull up my notes. I can look at the gun I shot. 
um, on it itself. And then, of course, you know, beyond that is there's a community feed. So I can check out what my buddies are doing. I can like what they're doing. They can like what I'm doing. They can ask questions. You can message people. And if you go to the homepage, there's all of the content. So you can go to the, there's the fundamentals program I was talking about. And then as it's okay. through, you know, and this is, they, they're using my stuff initially because I have a relationship with them, but there's uh, some Ernie Langdon material. There's a bunch of other material. This is going to go to the next level very soon when the studio's done. So, uh, so anyways, Wi-Fi app is on the, okay. Yeah. It's, it's pretty dang impressive. Pretty cool. So it, it automatically logs it for you, huh? Yeah, well, you open up a log and then it, it it automatically opens up the weather and puts your date and all that stuff in. So, you know, I can look and I can look at a log from last week and I can tell you, well, man, I had three gun failures and I can look, well, it was 89 degrees and hmm, interest, is the weather affecting that? And was it was it sunny that day? Was it cloudy? That is the cloud affecting my groups, you know, whatever. So it's pretty impressive. Live fire, dry fire, dual purpose, you know. Um, so, yeah. Now, would it work for rifle as well as pistol, or is it just designed for pistol? No, you could, yeah, no, you could log whatever you want. You could log live fire rifle training, live fire pistol training, dry fire training. You can do, like I said, dual use. You could log a live fire uh, pistol and handgun session. So, you know, when you, when you do your logs, like if I go to the log, I'll show you on the video here, if I just go to log, and on the top of it, I create a new training log and it'll tell me live fire, dry fire notes. So whatever I want to select. So let's go live fire. And once it starts, sets that up, it tells me it, it preloads Thursday morning. It preloads the weather. I could turn that on. Wow. And here I could select, you know, rifle notes, um, handgun notes, whatever. Then I can add a picture of the guns I shot. Yeah, that's fantastic. Total rounds, total hits. And that's going to go to the next level too, where we're going to have different scoring systems, but me, you know, like if you go to here, um, so you see all training logs, I think the video's not great, but if I could just go to my USPSA nationals preps, it looks like I had uh, 18 sessions I logged under USP. So that is just my nationals prep, but I can also go just to my defensive handgun prep. So I can segregate. My so you can create categories to put this stuff under. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I, and I, I ask because, you know, while when, if we're shooting pistol, the temperature, the weather, the elements affect us more than it does our equipment. But when you're shooting rifle and at distance, now the elements not only affect you, but now they're affecting the ballistics of what you're shooting. 100%. So to be able to automatically hit something and download the weather data is awesome. Yeah, the weather data, it's always active. You can turn that off, but it automatically loads the weather data. And I, that was by design too, because I'm like, I want to know what the weather was. To have a really bad session because it's 42 degrees out four days in a row. Okay, so last question then. Um, you go live on Facebook and other stuff. How do, how do people know when you're going live? Yeah. So the first of all, the the just so people know, the live stuff on Facebook is directly for free. It's there's no sales pitchy. There's nothing. It's just it's just to teach a subject or to like train with you. Sometimes I dry fire and you can do it with me, or sometimes you can just watch a subject I'm teaching and ask questions. It's just for the benefit of the live viewers to get 
you know, get, get free information. That's all it is. Uh, you don't have to buy my books. You don't have to sign in. There's no obligation, you know, but I, you know, I may talk about a product or a book, but that's it. But if you go to uh, shooting performance on my Facebook, that's my business Facebook page. I list all live streams under the event section. It'll tell you the date, the time, and the subject, and then you could you could check that out. I do try to do those in advance. I haven't been great at that lately because I've been traveling so much. Like this week, this morning I would have went live, but I'm prepping for a trip, and then next week I'll probably still be teaching or traveling back from a trip potentially. So they're a little shoddy in my really high volume season, but in my off season I'm very very active, and I'm literally once a week, sometimes twice a week. I'm on the live stream that you can check out. And by the way, you know, you can always go and watch the replays on Facebook. I don't take them down anymore. You know, I recommend people check those out as well. So, Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Mike. I hope to have you on at least two more times. I'd like to talk more of the mental processing stuff as well as uh, an episode just on defensive rifle and pistol. Man, I would love to do it. I enjoy talking about this stuff. I felt like I rambled a little bit on the – nationals preparation and stuff but i think those things nope. are those are pretty important to people if they understand there is a yep. process to follow you know there is a process and if you follow the process you will have success whether or not the end is a win or not is not given but you know you will have success as much as you can so an improvement over the last time is success it is i completely so. agree i gotta i gotta hear though before we close or start to close this out what is the surprise question i gotta hear the surprise question okay <laughs> all right so uh, with your air marshal background um and all the defensive stuff that you shoot what are your thoughts on frangible ammo like the glazer safety slug for home defense oh boy that is a great question <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if they make the glazers or like the, they do old school round that I was yes many years ago. Just in, just an FYI for the <laughs> listeners and viewers, we didn't use glazers or any franging ammo, frangible ammo. True frangible ammo for steel is a very hard pressed metal of whatever variation in epoxy that's designed to frange on steel. So in an airplane, it wouldn't matter because a lot of times frangible ammo actually is more highly penetrating than lead ammo. So it doesn't matter. Airplanes all leak. You can shoot holes in airplanes. It doesn't make a big difference as long as we don't have a really big hole that causes some sort of catastrophic decompression of the airplane. Oh, um, okay. Interesting. But yeah, there's, there's not doesn't matter a bit. They just say, just don't shoot the pilots, don't shoot other people, and try not to hit the hydraulics <laughs> in that car. Now that's easier said than done since the hydraulics and yeah. fall down and all of the people are in front of me and behind you. So it is easier said than done, but that's the rule. As far as home defense, maybe, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't see a really good reason to use an ammo like that unless, you know, maybe a, maybe a guy or gal. What about an apartment? Yeah. Maybe apartment a or townhouse. Apartment building. You know that. You got paper thin walls. And then I would have to, you know, for me, I would have to do some ballistic testing to make sure it's it's solid and it feeds well and it shoots well. I know that stuff is expensive. I, remember, I had some of it years ago, but I didn't shoot much of it. So, so I would test it a bunch. But yeah, I, I think that would be a viable self-defense round consideration for circumstances like the ones we outlined. Okay. All right. Well, that was that was the surprise question. 
Interesting. <laughs> I couldn't leave without knowing the surprise. Okay. Mike, I greatly appreciate it. This was awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, man. I mean, I know you mentioned wanting to talk more about the mental processing and preparation. You know, that's really kind of my game and thing I love to talk about. So you let me know when we come back on if, if the listeners or people that hear this want to hear about that. I would love to talk about it because it's it's the single most important thing you can do, assuming you're already practicing, like assuming you're already live firing and dry firing a little bit. That other stuff is the single most important thing you can do in both the competitive and the defensive realms. So I'll leave that with that, and then we can maybe set the interest. Awesome. Okay. Well, be safe in your travels, and good luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Y'all have a great day. All right. Take care, Mike. Bye. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Mm -hmm.